From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. Zealots get a bad rap. They do interrupt the status quo. They upset apple carts. They make people feel uncomfortable, but we need them. Left to our own devices, we humans drift, not towards leveling up, but malaise. We don't get better automatically. What's normal is mediocrity. And what gets missed is how often the upset they cause can lead to so much good. And for as long as I've known Justin Zarati, my guest on today's show, that's exactly what I've known him to be. Justin is founder of thesenumbers.org, an amazing nonprofit that invests in the next generation of African leaders. He's also a great husband and dad and friend. And he's written a number of books, including his most recent, Made for These Times, a startup guide to calling character and work that matters, which for those of you who are wise enough to read and are maybe feeling a bit of the drift in your own life, his book and hopefully this conversation will help reverse the tide and ignite the exact fire you've been craving. Justin Zarati, welcome to Converge. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. We have been friends for a long time, and you have covered a lot of ground over the course of that time. And I'm wondering for folks who don't know Justin Zarati yet, if you could give them the 90-second version of life from maybe college on, or maybe like a quick snapshot of pre-college, like why do you care about the stuff you care about? And then from there, what's happened? Why in the world are you sharing this wisdom with the world right now? (laughs) <laughs> sure. So yeah, I uh, you know I went to Westmont College uh, in Santa Barbara, California. I'm the I'm the 14th of my family to go to this school, right? So you don't mess around, I think, with us. And amazingly, of course, I'm taking this uh, leadership and character development class from this dude named uh, Dane Sanders, yeah, and des- something des- just despite despite and- that class. <laughs> Something Despite happened. that class. All right. It was helpful though. Anyway, so we, yeah, we've been friends, but basically I kind of, you know, got the push, I think from you and from others, honestly, that, um, I needed to leave, uh, some of the, uh, kind of the place that I knew the place that, uh, where I grew up, I, I, uh, needed to take some risks and to see other parts of the uh, world. And so I, um, I left Santa Barbara. I moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan to work there for a year, then moved to Belfast, Northern Ireland to do peace and conflict work with Catholic and Protestant young people, which then led me to working for Habitat for Humanity in Cape Town, South Africa, which then led to some really powerful moments of just realizing that, that I was made for more, that there was something going on in, in me that I was meant to use a lot of the the skills and abilities and relationships and just background that I had to really benefit the lives of others. And so I started from my couch, a small little nonprofit at the time called These Numbers Have Faces, which then grew substantially you know, to, to impact. Now I think we impact 20,000 lives every year across East Africa to now the uh, writing of my new book, Made for These Times, and kind of my my deep passion, really, I think, to help others find meaning and purpose and sig- significance and value in their lives. I think the thing that I'm most passionate about now is about being a guide for others who are looking to do something different and who are looking to uh, break out of kind of an ordinary life. And so that's what leads us to today and to this book and for you and I able to connect again and 
rehash all of our old wounds. Old <laughs> <habits>. <laughs> you know, you know it, it has been fun being your friend all these years. And, and I point to you as probably one of two students in all of my time in that, that season of my life where I, I was the student. I was the one learning. And it was, it's been so fun to extend that conversation and watch you grow these numbers of faces into something that is just largely, well, I think in, in my view, it started as something that was really misunderstood and grew into something that not only was understood in terms of the impact it had by, by leveraging learning and transformative education as a means to transform lives, it's just been so wildly successful. And then for you to go as a founder from there to author several times over, and you are working in several spheres of influence even beyond that nonprofit these days, but it does seem to consistently come from your own desire for calling and character and work that matters. And I'm wondering if you can just comment a little bit about your your own personal journey and moments of doubt. Like it's kind of an audacious claim to say, I want my life to matter. Like I can see why a lot of people want that, but to actually think that your life will, inevitably you come up against yourself and it's hard. And I know a lot of folks who listen to our podcast here, that a lot of them are creatives and freelancers and entrepreneurs, people who are wanting to make something significant out of what they've made. And yet they come up against themselves too and and kind of preset limits. And I'm wondering how you, on a personal level, you've had those come up for you and what you've done about those voices that are trying to call you off your game. Yeah, man. I mean, that's it. I think that all of us in the end, we're our own worst enemies. You know, we're the ones who on the inside will just tell us, you're a fraud. You're not good enough. You can't do it. I mean, even today, honestly, man, like before this podcast, it's me in the mirror of the bathroom in my my little office looking at myself going, okay, man, like you, you can do this. <laughs> like you're good enough. I mean, it, it just never goes away, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess I would, I want to share an, an anecdote and it's from the book that I think ties in here and it'll link into my story and I think all of ours, frankly. So there's a story about Andrew Garfield, who's this now very, very famous actor. Uh, he was in Spider-Man and uh, Hacksaw Ridge and Silence and The Social Network. Like he's awesome. So when he was an aspiring thespian, I guess. He was at, you know, London, the like prestigious London drama school, right? And he's cast in Hamlet and he's performing at Shakespeare's Globe Theater. So big, big deal, right? And he's about to go on his first ever big performance. The crowd is just packed and it's about an hour prior and he he has this freak out moment and he goes like, holy crap, I'm, I just can't do this. I can't walk out on stage. And of course, we've all felt this in some way. And so he leaves the Globe Theater, walks down to the River Thames and is walking alongside of it. And all this, the cloud of darkness is around him. It's like, you're not good enough. You're a fraud, which I think is kind of the like main one here. It's like, you know, you are not what you think you are. Folks are going to find out things like that. So he actually begins thinking, I'm going to throw myself in the river. I'm going to end it now, you know? And so, I mean, he's in a dark place. And then something remarkable happens, and that is that he actually hears this street 
performer right next to him and he's playing that song by Don McLean Vincent which is about Vincent Van Gogh and it's this awesome song but what's fascinating about it is that Andrew hears this guy playing and he's terrible he's actually awful and there was something really powerful for him in actually hearing this guy be so bad so imperfect and he begins thinking you know had this guy not had the courage to get out here and pull out his little guitar and go for it, where, you know, would I be? And so actually this guy's imperfection inspires him so much, seeing someone else do it badly, right? And then this kind of moment happens where the uh, clouds part and sun shines on him. And he feels, I think in some ways, kind of the word of, of a God on him saying, look, you think that you will die if you step on that stage, but actually if you don't do it, that's where you will actually die because he was born to be an actor and that if he didn't do it, he would rot from the inside out, right? And so that's then where he gets the courage to go back. He puts on a stunning performance, of course, and then has gone on and he's, not, he's nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe and all the rest. And so I love that story because I feel like it's such an amazing metaphor for all of us where this penetrating fear that we have all felt. But the reality is that if we don't do this, that is what's actually going to kill us, not the opposite, you know? And so I've just taken so much comfort from that in all of this stuff, be it starting a little nonprofit that then grew into this cool social enterprise and then writing, writing this book and now the work that I, uh, that I uh, do now. It's actually more about me realizing that if I don't do this, my life will be so much worse than what I think the actual pain is going into it. Mm. One of the common pains that I've certainly experienced, and I find myself in more and more conversations with people that relates to what you're describing, is this feeling of comparison. In fact, it's funny, I was just reading that Jordan Peterson book, 12 Rules for Life. I don't know if you've yeah. come across it, but he has this remarkable kind of edict where he says, basically, and I'm butchering it a little bit, but don't compare yourself to someone today, compare to yourself yesterday. So mm -hmm. kind of in your own kind of linear path. Is, and how do you get off of these kind of comparison envy traps that are out there? Because it seems like that, I'm guessing for Andrew Garfield or for me or for you, I know I experienced this quite a bit. I set a limit on what's possible for me because I have such, I look at other people who are doing so well, seemingly, and I go, well, if they're doing well, then I can't. Like there's some zero sum game or something. How do you deal with the comparison game? Yeah. What I think is so funny, Dane, is that it happens mostly from like well-meaning, wonderful people, friends and family. And here is what they do. They will send me an email or a text message or whatever. It's always like, Justin, have you heard of blank <laughs> awesome <Peterson>? author? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dane. Or like, or like blank awesome organization or blank awesome idea or concept. Here's their TED talk or their like really fancy website about it or their like campaign or this Whatever, article in the, the Washington Post or whatever it is, maybe you can become friends with them or like meet them and like learn from them. And again, it comes out of like a place of, I want to help you. But of course, now when I'm at my very best, I can learn from them, right? But nine times out of 10, I feel like, total garbage. That's just like what happens when I <laughs> when I hear that because I just I just do exactly what you were saying which is I I compare their middle end or climax or celebration to my very beginning starting point, right? And so 
that's a huge issue. And I think that so many people, especially now, you know, you have social media, you're seeing stuff on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's so easy. And then those like little kind of arrows just like get sent to you so quickly. Like you're never going to be this, this person. So why even try? It's a total zero sum game. And yet the tool that I found, I think, frankly, the only thing that has actually worked for me in this Besides just like unfollowing all of those. Of those <laughs> um, Flipping it, them off and moving on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, the best tool for me has been this meditative kind of mantra that I've sort of adopted. And that is that whenever I see something like that, I hear that something kind of comes in on me. I stop. I then breathe. And I say out loud to myself, I say, they have their story and I have mine. They have their story and I have mine. And and I'll say it like 10 times over, you know? And what it does, I think, is it really just kind of calms some of that, you know, fire, anxiety, you know, acid in my stomach type of thing. And it helps me realize that this isn't a zero sum game. They can be successful in their thing. And even if my thing is really, really similar, I can do fine as well. And again, they have their own story and they have their own audience and their own mission. And my thing is just is just different because I'm different. You know, no one is like me, even if things sound kind of the same. So anyway, I found that to be really, really helpful kind of in those times of pretty significant self-doubt. I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. whcc.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity podcast. Hey friends, I have a quick announcement. Fastermind is coming to Chicago on September 20th. It's a one-day workshop event that we call Fastermind Live. We do this in cities around the country every quarter, and we cannot wait to get together in real life and talk about real skills that will make a real difference for you and your business. If you'd like to find out more about this event, go to fastermind.co forward slash live. Again, fastermind.co forward slash live. Let's jump into the book itself. So, and I know these things are definitely tied in here, but your book is called Made for These Times, Startup Guide to Calling Character and Work That Matters. Help folks at home understand a little bit by what you mean by made for these times. Yeah, it's this concept that I've gotten really excited about. And that is that you look around the world right now and and be it culture or politics or, you know, whatever else. And kind of the perception is, man, like things are kind of nuts right now. The world is a a little bit scary. And so often I think that without meaning to, you know, we're all looking for heroes, like external heroes. So we all wish for the heroes of our history. You know, if only Dr. King was back here, he could help lead us through this issue around racial reconciliation. And if only, Harriet Tubman and Eleanor Roosevelt and Gandhi and, you know, Mother Teresa, whomever, you know, we always kind of think about these uh, heroes and always wish like if they were here, things would be so much better. And yet the reality is that we have been made perfectly for today. And there's something that's happening today, I think, culturally, historically, politically, in the walls of your own home, in your community, in your church, in your business, in your whatever that there's a reason why you are alive today. This is not an accident. And that the sooner that we realize 
that we have a destiny and a uh, calling to be alive right now in 2018, the quicker we actually understand that, oh, this is actually up to us. And so I kind of have this very deep, almost like spiritual element that, you know, God has called us to these very specific times. And when people realize that they are made for today, made for for these times. I think there's almost like a, I would call it kind of like a scales off the eyes or like a kind of the weight on your shoulders can kind of come off a bit to actually go, my goodness, like there's actually a real reason why I, I am here. This isn't an accident. And then I think people can then go out and, f- and then figure out like, okay, like, well, where is it? Where am I meant to be? What is the impact I am meant to have? Where do I fit? Who do I rally around me? But it, it only really works when you actually realize that, man, there's a real, a real reason why you are, uh, are here today. So that's kind of the foundation, I think, for the uh, book really going forward. I love that on, on several levels. And I'm making a connection even now. I'm picturing like a, I have the book. I see the cover. You have these two matchsticks. I want to come back to the matchsticks in a second. But um, what it sounds like you're calling people to an adventure. Like there's this kind of, you know, classic Joseph Campbell stolen by Don Miller, heroic journey in front of us and you're calling people out of that which on some level is both a device because it's helpful for people to kind of to be called but at the same time you actually believe this stuff like you actually think human beings right now are in a moment that if they don't wake up to it they're gonna miss it is that fair completely and here's i think what is so crazy too is that again we we watch the news and you see stuff come on your feed of Facebook or whatever it is, and you can look around the world and think, oh my gosh, like the world is falling apart, you know? And yet, what I think we oftentimes forget is just like how incredible these times are. We are fortunate. We should be so thankful to live in this, this time. I mean, you know, in the last 50 years, more people have been lifted out of poverty around the world than in the last 500 years, right? I mean, we all have smartphones in our pockets that are more powerful than all of NASA's combined computing when they put a man on the moon in 1969. I mean, we don't even realize what this all means. I mean, I'm, I'm having a, a baby in a month. We may have to have a, a C-section in, you know, 100 years back. I mean, babies just died. There was just like no issue there, you know? I mean, what we take for granted when it comes to modern medicine, culture, economics, safety, I mean, as much as we think that like the world is terrible and terror and war and all the rest, I mean, we are actually living in the safest times in human history, you know? So again, I think we get so taken by what's on TV and, you know, all the rest. In the 60s, there was a guy that coined the uh, term, his name was George Garber, coined the uh, term mean world syndrome, which actually kind of created a, uh, a, a correlation between how much fear you have linked to how much television you watch, you know? And so I think that there's something too where um, we allow this overwhelmingly, whatever it is on TV to just paint this terrible narrative for us when actually there are amazing things happen. There's so much good in the world. And frankly, there's so much opportunity for us that I think we just don't even realize. So I do, I mean, I'm such an optimist, obviously, but I also just take it so seriously. And, and it actually pains me so much when I see really, really talented people just kind of waiting in the wings or sitting around, like kind of thinking, oh, I just don't know if I have the courage or the ability and all the rest. And it's almost like I want, I want to shake them, be like, goodness gracious, look where you live currently. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is the greatest time ever to rise up and do awesome things. Like, let's do it, you know? So I think that's kind of where it uh, it uh, comes from in some ways. 
Okay, so I want to press on this a little bit because in this moment, who wrote Entertaining Ourselves to Death? Postman? Yeah, in, was it Neil Postman? Neil, Neil Postman, yeah. Yeah, I think of that dynamic of not just kind of the the negative effects of entertainment and perpetual screens and so forth, but the other side effect of that phenomenon in our culture is, again, feeds to what we talked about initially, is kind of constant comparison game. Yeah. Like I'm either, I'm better or worse than everyone I look at on my Instagram feed. I mean, this is my own kind of internal dialogue. And it's not this cynical all the time, but once in a while, if I'm at my worst, that's what I, I kind of can default to. Or even the idea that my life could matter, that there's a calling on my life for something significant. Yeah. And I feel very ordinary. Like I'm not celebrated. I don't have the, you know, the, the folks feeding in that I like this was the moment made for me. What do you say to folks who just feel very ordinary, very like unimportant, even though the times might be significant, I might not feel significant in the times we're in. Yeah. I think that ordinary is powerful. I think that again, because we watch so many like Marvel comics movies or whatever, you know, we like think that only when you get bitten by the radioactive spider do you like will you ever become something of value yeah. and i think that there are so many i mean if you, you have to just look back the examples throughout history of ordinary people that are nobodies who happen to have a certain experience that then leads them on a journey toward significance is that's just how it all works frankly that is it and i think that i would even go deeper in some ways spiritually of just like you know we get invited into these tiny little things small little chances to say yes and it's like are we open to those things so i would say again being ordinary is what is what makes us powerful now again there's no doubt i'm not i'm not going to deny that there's certain people i think i would probably be a, one of them there's certain folks that have you know, a, like leg up in all in all ways, be it where you're from or your education or your parents or you know whatever else. So again, those things are all are, are all there when it comes to going and like succeeding in the eyes of the uh, the uh, world. But again, a life of significance and uh, meaning is totally different. And so I just think that anyone that is feeling like they are just ordinary should actually look at it as a strength because it it actually helps them, I think, kind of operate under the radar. It actually helps them do things differently. I would say too, the funny thing is, is when it comes to trying something new or failure, some of these things that of course we all battle when it comes to being an entrepreneur, a freelancer, you know, whatever else. The most hilarious thing to me is that we're all so scared to try something new. And yet the reality is, is that if we fail on something, most people are not paying attention to us at all. We're we're all total narcissists, right? So we think that like, oh, if I try this thing and it totally tanks that like everyone's going to look at me and think that I'm a failure. But reality is, of course, like everyone is actually just too busy doing their own crap. So no one is actually listening to you or following you at all in some ways, which I think it also is actually a good thing. It's a total blessing. So even when I eventually went down the line here and I actually transitioned the organization that I ran, um, and of course I went through all this pain and turmoil of, you know, the what does whole it thing. mean? What does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, and then, right. and then I would tell people and I'm expecting them to go, oh, Justin, you must have been through so much work and blah, blah. And their response is like, cool, man. So like, what's next? You know? <laughs> and because yeah. they just like aren't thinking about me in those ways. Um, so again, I think that's a really, really cool thing. But again, going back to it as well, again, the most compelling stories of 
human history are ordinary people that walk into a very, very tiny, what I call a, a moment of obligation. And when they are able to say yes to that, that's when awesome things happen. And that only happens for folks that are just really, really regular and ordinary. So, we, you know, we should all take heart from that. I want to go back to the matches for a second on the cover, because what I'm hearing, what I make up about that symbolism is we all have matches in our pockets, like ordinary or extraordinary. We have the capacity to strike the match when the right things are ready. And, and some of our job is to be on the ready for that moment, do good work. And I know you tell one pretty amazing story of Le Chambon of France in your book that it's so, or you've told me personally, at least, that, that I'm... Here's a group of extraordinarily normal. No, in fact, <laughs> yeah. we don't know, we don't know any of these people. We currently don't know any of these people. But these, as a people, some folks found a way to strike a metaphorical match. It literally transformed course of history for people for generations. Tell that story of these regular old people in Le Chambon. It's like my my. I think probably my most favorite story. I think that I've that I've heard in so long. So. Essentially, it's 1940. The German occupation of France and, frankly, most of, a, of a Western Europe is now happening. Things are really, really tough. And there's this tiny little town, this, mount, this mountainous village called Les Chambon. It's a small little village. No one even knows that it's there. These are farmers, builders, stay-at-home moms, school teachers. This is, I mean, they are nobodies, right? Like, this is a, a, a place where no one even knows that this place exists. And there's this guy in this town called Andre Trocme. And Trocme happens to be this this uh, minister of this tiny little church there. And they're just trying to do life. Um, of course, now that the Nazi o- occupation has uh, happened and they're kind of like, oh my gosh, how are we going to function and what's going to happen? Of course, they're all scared in their own way. And one night he's sitting by the fire and uh, he hears a knock at his his door. And he opens it, and there is a Jewish woman standing there, and she's cold and wet, and she says, I'm fleeing. I'm a a refugee from Germany. Can I come in? And in this moment, Trachme, I think he really, he kind of has his like his um, matches and he can think, am I going to light this match or not? Because really, there's some like pretty serious implications here. And thankfully, he says yes, and he invites her in. And then she meets Andre's uh, wife, Magda is is uh, her name. And from there, this little relationship, this kind of one time where he says yes, what happens is basically it ignites an entire rescue effort that starts with his with with his friends and then spreads to his little church and then takes over the whole town where actually every single person in this entire village goes on to then house and educate and forge documents of about 5000 mainly Jewish children to then live with them and then during the right moments move them through this really incredible underground network into neutral Switzerland and they used all these really crazy tactics to make it work um they would when word of a Nazi raid was coming they would send all the kids out into the uh, forest to hide and then as soon as the Gestapo left they would the whole town would then come out and sing this certain song and so all the uh, kids knew that it was time to then come back. And again, this was done, you know, not by City Hall, not by the Red Cross or some organization. It was done by regular, ordinary people, mainly around their tables in their in their houses to actually do this. And it provided so much meaning for them. They saved so many lives. 
And it's just this powerful story that, again, we always look back to World War II or, or whatever else. And again, you think about it in terms of mass scale of how many people died or how many folks were saved or how many you know bombs were dropped or whatever else. And this is this tiny story of 5,000 people saved, which again, seems like nothing, but there was just so much power in it. And then lastly, what I think is so fascinating is then in the 1970s, an American writer named Philip Hawley went there to, to actually interview people and to kind of learn about it. And what was fascinating is that whenever he would interview people who had been involved in this, they would almost be almost offended by kind of the uh, the uh, moral curiosity of his uh, his uh, questioning. And they would say, like, like, what do you mean? Why did we do this? This was the most natural thing in the world to help these uh, people. It just became a, a part of their just no normal life. And so I'm so inspired by that story. Again, as just someone who is who is ordinary, but who is able to see a small need, act on it, and then watch as then, you know, they then go on to uh, to uh, change the world. So if I'm at home and I'm listening to this conversation and I'm like, man, I want to change the world, <laughs> or at least my world, or I want to strike the match. It's maybe a, maybe a little bit less of a daunting task. Um, sure. Uh, you've actually created a whole course to help people do this, and you made it free. Talk about your How to Start a Fire course and what you're trying to do there. I built a little online video course. Uh, it's called How to Start a Fire, uh, Transforming your, Yourself to Transform the World. And it's just five videos. They're you know five to seven mi minutes long. Um, you sign up online on, on my website, justinzerati.com. One comes every day uh, and you can just watch it and just wait for the next one. And it's just some really kind of personal, practical tools about how you begin to just think about this stuff, how you begin, I think, to kind of get your mentality right of just wanting to be on the uh, the uh, lookout for just great things around you. I think so, so many of us, we kind of live our lives on an autopilot and we actually, because I think be it technology or just kind of being distracted in our lives, we aren't scanning for what I call moments of obligation, of just waiting in our uh, our world to find a way to to uh, jump in and see where our greatest gifts can match some of the, uh, the world's greatest needs. And so I hope through this little course, talking about relationships and character and balance, finding grit and battling resistance and all the rest, that people can be inspired, but also really learn that a lot of this stuff kind of comes from the uh, inside. We're always, I think, looking outward, trying to find the next thing or trying to step into something. But so often, I think a lot of our answers are actually already inside of us. And 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 uh, we have to go inward and frankly, deal with like pain and deal with crap. But then through that can actually be transformed to then actually be these amazing, powerful fires going out to do awesome things, be it in your home, in your neighborhood or around the world. Justin Zarati, we are so grateful not only to have you on, but I'm just grateful to call you friend. Um, friends, if you're at home, join in our little friendship here. Uh, How to Start a Fire is a great free course. And many of you, Run, Don't Walk, uh, Made for These Times, a startup guide to calling character and work that matters is at Amazon and everywhere else where you buy books, but we all know you buy books at Amazon, so just go there. So now is the time, friends. And really, it's so funny. I, I share all the time in my own, whenever I have the opportunity to to tell my story with my own experience with my my dad dying when I was very young and my dad's dad dying when my dad was young. And the severe gift of that phenomenon for me is I'm very conscious of like days are passing quickly and there's a sense of urgency. And I don't wish my plight onto others, 
But I do wish that whoever's listening to this conversation might go, wait, there really is an urgency here. This isn't just a promotional opportunity of a new book. This is your life. And this is an opportunity to take pause and go, what am I doing? And how am I taking advantage of this incredible gift of life and meaning? And Justin, you have given people a vocabulary and a path for them to go and actually do it. So friends, I hope at home you go take advantage of it. But Justin, thank you for who you are and what you mean to so many. Thanks, man. Converge Podcast is brought to you by Fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your Fastermind underscore. Go to Fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.